Good morning again and welcome. We are glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. We trust that you've had a great week, and so we hope and pray that the new year, as we about, well, we're really just a few days out from embarking on 2021, it will be a pleasure to say goodbye to 2020 and look forward to a great, great new year. And so we anticipate great things, and we pray that God will bless each of us in the coming new year. I do want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, the passage read a moment ago in Matthew chapter 14, as we think today about the theme, you'll sink if you take your eyes off Jesus. There's a lot of emphasis in Scripture on keeping the Lord at the hub of life. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 on one occasion, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, of course, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about how our citizenship is in heaven, recognizing that our focus in life is to be heavenly, to be upward in life. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul would say, set your affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. We live in a day and time in which there are a lot of things that are going on that are, quite frankly, out of our control. There are a lot of people in the world today that are wondering about the future, and no doubt rightly so. But as you think about life and where you are in life, There are any number of things that can come our way on a daily basis, but the key to overcoming and ultimately to being victorious in life is to keep our eyes on the Lord. In Matthew chapter 14, we have an account of Jesus walking on the sea. It's a very interesting account found in Matthew, Mark, and John. They all provide insight into this great setting. And so I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the fact that Jesus sent the disciples out to sea. Now, by way of context, Jesus has just fed some 5,000 men, and no doubt there were many more present on that occasion, with five barley loaves and two small fish. You imagine that great setting, and the Lord multiplying the loaves and the fish and feeding the multitudes. And so following that, John tells us in chapter 6 that the people came and they were going to force Jesus to become a king. And so the Lord then retreated and commanded the disciples to go to the other side of the sea. Now, They're on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Lord is instructing them to go to the western side to the city of Capernaum. And so if you pick up with me in verse 22. After having fed the 5,000, Matthew said, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And then note, if you would, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. 
And when evening had come, he was alone there. So here we have Jesus having retreated to the mountain. He is in privacy, and he's praying to the Father. You ever thought about how much time Jesus spent in prayer to the Father during his earthly ministry? This is not an isolated incident. But rather, over and over again, the Bible talks about Jesus communing with the Father in prayer. The disciples, those who were around him, they wanted to make him a king. Now, Jesus was indeed a king, wasn't he? But not the kind of king that they anticipated. As a matter of fact, they misunderstood not only the kingship of Jesus, but the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus would say in John chapter 18 before Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. The Lord Jesus is the king of his kingdom. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. It was a spiritual kingdom. His hour had not yet come. He would ultimately be coronated on Pentecost Day according to Peter in Acts chapter 2. Where the Bible tells us he was seated at the right hand of the Father, sitting upon the throne of David, a spiritual throne. So we find Jesus in privacy praying to the Father. He has sent the disciples to the other side of the sea, to the city of Capernaum. But then, note if you would, secondly, Jesus saw the disciples on the sea. Pick up with me in verse 24, if you would. The text says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. So they're out probably some three to four miles from the shore. They're making their way across the sea, and Mark tells us in his account that they're rowing and the wind is against them. So they're having difficulty making headway. Verse 24, the Bible says, They were tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, now, there were four watches based upon what historians say in days gone by. The first watch would have begun at 6 p.m. in the evening, 6 to 9. The second watch, 9 to 12. Third watch, 12 to 3. And then the fourth watch of the night would have been 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So it's very early in the morning. And the Lord Jesus comes to them in the darkness and in the deep. They're out in the middle of the sea. And note, if you would, what is said in verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. The word ghost here means apparition. They thought the Lord Jesus was a spirit or some type of apparition. And note, if you would, what Jesus said to them. Be of good cheer, it is I. And then note how he disarmed them. Do not be afraid. Could I ask this question? If the Lord Jesus is in our presence, 
What do we have to fear? You know, you think about they're out in the middle of the deep. It's dark. The winds are howling. The sea is turbulent. They see the Lord Jesus walking upon the sea. They don't really know what they are seeing. They're afraid. And Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid. Now note if you would. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, of all the disciples, who do you think would have been most likely to have made a statement like this? I think Peter. Don't you? I mean, you look at the, if you look at the life of Peter, and you begin to analyze his personality, it would just stand to reason that he would be the one that would speak up and say, Lord, bid me to come to you. And the text says, the Lord Jesus makes this statement. Come. The Lord's out here on the water. And Peter wants to join him. And the Lord invites him. Come on. And the Bible says, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now imagine, I have never seen anybody walk on water. Have you? That might be that there are some folks that have the idea they can walk on water. The only person that I know that had that ability was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord enabled Peter to walk on the water. So here's Peter out on the water walking. And then Matthew says, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And the Bible says, beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. What was the problem? Why do you think Peter began to sink? The Lord endowed him with the ability, the power to walk on water. Do you think it's possible that Peter on this occasion took his eyes off of Jesus? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He began to sink, didn't he? I said at the onset of our lesson today, the theme is, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to sink, aren't you? The world in which we live is turbulent and changing daily. In many instances, minute by minute. And there are a lot of things that are going on in life, some of which are completely out of our control. And the thrust is, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, I promise you, you will sink. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the writer is encouraging Christians in the first century to hold on to their faith in the Lord. Some of those New Testament Christians were going back to Judaism. Some had already gone back to the Mosaic Law. And the writer is stressing the superiority of the law of Christ to the law of Moses. And so in chapter 12, 
The Hebrew writer said, Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer there going back to chapter 11 and reminding his readers of the people that they were well acquainted with, those great patriarchs of days gone by, those people that had labored and served Almighty God, who lived by faith and obedience in their lives, and as a result of that, were blessed immeasurably. And so he said, seeing, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, just imagine all these great people in days gone by that are surrounding you. And you can look back at their example and draw from that example. He said, let us lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that's set before us. And then listen to this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. What are you saying? If you want to get home safely to be with God one day, you have got to keep your eyes focused on whom? On the Lord Jesus. When you face hardships in this life, and they're going to come, it may be that you have already experienced hardship in life. Might be the case that you've never had a dark day in life, but I promise you this, it'll come. You live long enough, it'll come. When you face the hardships of life and the trials and tribulations and temptations of life, when you're faced with danger and discouragement and despair and disease and death, when you face all of these things, you better have your eyes focused on Jesus. You better be looking to Jesus and you better make sure that you are equipped with that key word, endurance or perseverance. There are a lot of people in our world today. Hardships in life have destroyed their faith. Now James in James chapter 1 makes a case for the trials of life bettering our spiritual maturity. You remember he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith does what? Produces patience or perseverance. So when you face the hardships of life and you're hurting, are there people hurting in our country today? Yes. Are there people hurting globally speaking? Well, of course. Didn't Job say man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble? We live in a world of trial and trouble. If you take your eyes off of Jesus, I promise you, you will sink. The hardships and the heartaches of life. Really, there are three kinds of people in the world. There are people who are about to experience pain. There are people who are experiencing pain. And then there are people who are coming out of situations where their lives have been inundated with pain and suffering. Where are you? 
when you face hardship and heartache? What about times in life when you feel utterly helpless in this life? Have there been occasions in your life when you didn't have the answer? You didn't know what to do. The disciples, they're out in the deep. And it's dark. And they're out on the water by themselves until the Lord Jesus shows up walking on the water. And Jesus dispels their fears. It is I, do not be afraid. Life can be tough. Think for a minute, if you would, about how in this life we face helpless situations. To whom do we turn? Didn't David say, cast your burden on the Lord? And what will he do? He will sustain you, right? Didn't the Hebrew writer say, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace? Why? That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are there times in life when because of poor decisions... We consider ourselves failures. You ever failed at anything? You ever tried to do something and you tried to do it to the best of your ability, but the bottom line, you failed. That is a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Failure. And then the frustration of having failed. Now there are only two possibilities. You can stay down or you can get up. The Hebrew writer is encouraging the Christians to whom he was writing in the first century to get up. To stay strong. Matter of fact, in verse 3, he talks about the danger, the possibility of being wearied and discouraged in their souls. He reminds them of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, don't we? And then what about, what about our faults in life? Somebody said on one occasion, the most difficult person to forgive in life is self. That's true, isn't it? Many of us have experienced situations in life when we have been at odds with somebody. They've asked forgiveness and we have been more than happy to forgive them. We are forgiven people. One of the real difficulties in life is learning to forgive self, beating ourselves up, carrying the baggage of the past around on a daily basis. Sometimes the past can blur the future, and as a result of that, we tend to take our eyes off the Lord. We live in the past, and yet you remember the Hebrew writer said to those of us who belong to the Lord, 
In chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. I want to ask this question. If you've been baptized into Christ and God has forgiven you of the past, have you learned to let go? Have you forgiven yourself? Or are you still carrying baggage from the past? As a child of God, as somebody who's been baptized into Christ, you enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. You make mistakes in life, and John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You make a mistake, you fall short of the glory of God, you repent of that, you ask God to forgive you, but you continue to think about it. You're bothered by it. Almost daily, you're asking God to forgive you of something that He has forgiven you of days earlier. Why do we do that? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then our fears. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said in about verse 32 on one occasion, Fear not, little flock. Fear is a terrible thing, isn't it? The disciples were afraid. Are there times in life when we are afraid of what we're facing in life? Are there not times in life when we're plowing new ground? We've never been there. We've never been to a certain place in life and we're fearful of what lies ahead. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus spoke to the disciples. It's interesting to me that three times in that context, listen to what Jesus said, do not fear. You think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, do not fear, and then listen to him in Luke chapter 12 when he said, fear not little flock. Do you think the Lord was on to something there? That he knew that as frail, feeble children of dust, We have a tendency to live in fear and anxiety and worry. And yet, here's what Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, if you're in a situation right now, and you're facing hardship and heartache and hopelessness and helplessness and all those other things, and you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, you know what it feels like to sink. Years ago when I was just a boy, I happened to be at a lake. And I was on the shore, and I remember these guys started yelling out. They kept saying that their friend had gone under, and they were frantic, and they were crying out. And I remember they pulled their friend from the water, 
And I watched them beat on that boy's chest trying to restore life. And that fellow was gone. Gone. I don't know what it'd be like to drown. Had an uncle who was 15 that drowned. Not how I want to go out. You may be here today and you're drowning. You're sinking. You need to get your eyes back on Jesus, don't you? Third thought very quickly. Jesus demonstrated his sovereignty before the disciples. In verse 31, you remember Peter's sinking. And Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And the Bible says, he said, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When times are tough, I want you to think about the Lord Jesus and his hand is stretched out to you. The question is, will you take it? Will you take his hand and let him help you with where you are in this life? As a result of this event, the text says in verse 32, when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. They learned something about the power of Jesus on this occasion, didn't they? I mean, you think about Jesus had the ability to not only calm the storm, but he calmed the saints, didn't he? The Lord Jesus has that same ability to bring tranquility to your life, whatever you're facing. Peter said it like this, and Peter, I believe, was well qualified to write these words. Casting all your care on him. Why, Peter? For he cares for you. Here is Peter. Boastful. Somebody who always spoke before he thought. Jumps out on the water, begins to sink, and cries out, save me. And Jesus stretched out his hand. The Lord Jesus calmed the storm on that occasion and he calmed the saints on that occasion. But there's also another thought here. Not only did they learn something about the power of the Lord, they learned something about the person of Jesus. Note if you would in verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Now, a couple of thoughts here. According to Mark, the Bible says they were amazed in themselves and marveled. Miracles and signs did what? They created wonder or awe. 
The Bible says in John chapter 5, Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus demonstrated his power over nature, didn't he? And you remember in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus, on the occasion spoken of by Mark, calmed the winds and the sea. And the Bible says the disciples after that asked this question, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and sea obey him. Were they not learning something about the Lord Jesus, about his person? This was deity, wasn't it? And then not only did they, not only were they filled with wonder, but the Bible says they worshiped him. And know what they said, truly, you're the Son of God. In John chapter 6, and in John chapter 6, we have a record of this very incident. After having walked on the sea, Jesus then engages in an extended discussion of identifying himself as the bread of life. And the Bible says, many of those disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? John said, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked, will you also go away? Peter speaks up. And Peter asks this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. And then listen to this nugget. Peter said, and we have come to... We have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you not think that being in the presence of Jesus, they came to understand that this is God in the flesh, that this is the Son of God? Wouldn't be long before Jesus in the region of Caesarea Philippi, would ask those disciples about his identity. And again, Peter would affirm, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they worshiped him, an acknowledgement of his deity. In John chapter 9, there is a record of Jesus giving sight to a man who was born blind. And at the latter part of chapter 9, Jesus comes in contact with this man again. And he asked him, he asked him this question, do you believe in the Son of God? And you know what this man said? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, well, basically, it's me. And the Bible says he acknowledged Jesus to be the Son of God and he worshiped him. That's who we're talking about. The very Son of God. So I'm here to tell you today, Please keep your eyes on Jesus. If you take your eyes off of Jesus, you'll sink. A lot of folks in our country are challenged by driving. The problem is, isn't that they can't drive. The problem is they want to text and drive. When you text and drive, what happens? You take your eyes off the road, don't you? You take your eyes off the road, possibility you'll wreck. If you take your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have 
a major train wreck in your life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you to come to Christ to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am that eternal, self-existent one. He said, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins where I am, he said, there you cannot come. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would repent, turn from a life of sin, acknowledge him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and be baptized into Christ, the beauty of that, God will forgive your sins and He'll put you in the church. Acts 2.47 If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, maybe you've gone out into that far country like the prodigal did and you need to get back home. Today ought to be that day that you come home. Listen to John. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.